0: that I'm going to not do something. I remember that there are so many people, mainly white men, out there doing whatever the hell they want, failing at it with no repercussions, no shame, no fear of failure. They can do it, so can I.
1: Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of OutOfHours.org, a community for people with side projects. I believe that everyone has a great idea and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient and more confident. There are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave, and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the podcast, we
2: have Sharmadine Reid, a serial entrepreneur based in London. Sharmadine is an inspiration to many women around the world, and she's widely known for her impact on culture, the beauty industry, and women's empowerment, and she received an MBE in 2015 for her services. Her entrepreneurial journey started at university, where she created a zine called Wah as a side project. She then set up the nail salon Wah Nails, originally also as a side project, and hailed as a disruptor to the beauty industry. She's now founder and CEO of The Stack World, an ecosystem for women which creates content, builds communities and hosts events. Her personal mission is to empower women economically and socially through tech, and much of her life has been spent bringing people together and harnessing new technology for social impact. In this conversation, we talk about why she's so excited about the future of the internet, what many people are calling Web3 why she's learned about nfts the role of participation in new companies and why she's been working on a stack DAO, her latest experiment there are some terms that might be unfamiliar to some listeners so i'll link in the show notes some places you can read more i hope you enjoy let's start with talking about your article Someone said this to me once about something that they're reading. They said, it's kind of like eating a chocolate brownie. It's so satisfying. And for me, (laughs) I was like, that's such a good way to describe writing because it's so, sometimes you'll read something and you'll just be like, damn, yes. And then like, it's just hitting the spot of all, like intellectually of all the things that you've been thinking about, but you haven't been able to kind of put into words. And I think for anyone who hasn't read the article um, and is listening to this, they should read it and I'll link to it. The general gist of it was so it's called the uh, unpaid labor of female founders. And you essentially argue that female founders have an extra burden of creating almost kind of like desirable personal brands. But let's start with just talking about how you how you feel about that now. Do you still feel that there's this kind of extra unpaid burden for female founders to act as brand ambassadors or do you think it's starting to wane
0: I'm really glad that the article resonated because I've shared it. It's been shared a lot and I wrote it quite a while ago. But to me, it's still relevant because, you know, even as little as a few weeks ago, there are more female founder takedown articles. In fact, a couple of days ago, what am I talking about? So I think like it's really critical to understand that the role of women with the media, traditional media and social media is very much bound up in their visibility and their sort of palatability. So you really um, you really find that there's this huge desire to cover women and the success of women in business. You know, maybe it's a scarcity thing, like there aren't enough women in business that are cool that people, you know, so people want to write about them. But what actually happens is that all of the time taken to complete these interviews, to get ready, to get your hair done, your nails done, your facial, etc., what they're actually doing is just giving you more labor to do that is not technically paid for as part of your job role. And what I mean by that is most Companies have a marketing department. They have budget for influencers, for brand ambassadors. You're essentially being brand ambassador number one, um, more so than what a typical uh, CEO requirement would be, and you're not paid for it. And actually, it stops you from investing your time in the real important parts of the business. So I see it more than ever um, today, and it's something that I really am conscious about I guess, sharing with my community that they don't have to look at how women have done it previously and do the same. So what I mean by that is I get a lot of women tell me, oh, my God, I've always wanted to be in a magazine like you or be interviewed on a podcast like you. But actually, it's like what I don't want to do is perpetrate this kind of image of... uh like constantly being present as a marketeer as well as having to actually be a CEO is it
2: the frustration that other people are going to see this and think they need to do it or is it actually the impact on your own life that frustrates you most at the moment
0: I think it's a little bit of both the impact on my own life uh frustrates me on it because it really is about boundary setting and um you know, most women have trouble with boundary setting, let's be real. And mm-hmm. I I do have trouble saying no to things, no to, to people. And also there is definitely an expectation that I have to go out and use my image and networks to sell the business where other people might be allowed to just spend on ads, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that is kind of a little bit frustrating. But what I would say is... What makes this problematic is not the doing of the labor, it's the knock-on effect or the outcome of what that doing does to the company and to the individual. So to the company, it might mean, as I said, that you're not investing in areas of the business that need to be investing in. So then the company fails and the company fails because you didn't invest the time in making that key hire or building that appropriate part of the tech so that's the worrying thing and then the the second one is the outcome the outcome being when you do all of this unpaid media labor you're also being put on a pedestal which then people can't wait to kick you off so you know it has this twofold effect
2: when you look at it in the context of the creator economy a large percentage of it is people creating personality based brands where they are very visible and actually sometimes quite similar, and the differentiator is the personality of the person. When you look at that evolution of the industry, do you see a difference between women and men that's unique to the creator economy or to kind of personality based businesses?
0: I don't have enough information or data to be able to answer that correctly but what i do know is that women use social media more than men right and i think it's like varies at different times between 60 and 70% of social media users are women on top of that the type of content women produce tend to be aesthetically led image self image based content so what we have is essentially millions and millions of millions of women who are laboring for free who make social media uh, a place that advertisers want to put their money, right? So even before you get to the creator economy, you think, well, how how can the creator economy even exist? It can exist because there are all of these platforms that have these audiences that they can sell to. But the women have built, the women who are using these products i jokingly said it the other day to someone i said imagine in the year 2000 somebody's i was 16 in the year 2000 if someone said to you when you grow up you're gonna have to go to this factory for four to eight hours a day and you're gonna have to make lots and lots and lots of little products just small ones just things that people like or you might be liking them You might like other people's products, but you're all in this factory making lots and lots of little products, but you don't get paid at all. And then every now and again, the big boss of the factory comes in and shows his mates around the factory, and then they suck your brain out for insights and sell you stuff. Like You'd be like, hell no, I'm not doing that. But that's what we do every single day when we're on social media. We are working for free to improve the value of a product that we don't own. So because we've improved the value of this product, then creators can exist. And creators, like any um, marketplace, has a long tail, right? There are people who are making millions. And there are many more people who are making like almost nothing. So you might as well say that they're also working for free. So I feel like I don't truly know any gender differences between male and female creators because it's it's not um something i've researched in depth but what i do know is that advertising relies a lot on self image and self image has been uh you know perpetuated on these platforms to increase something that we don't own at the moment i'm incredibly interested in web3 as the idea of, like, how do you increase ownership of the products people are building and using to the people who are actually consuming them? So rather than think of the creator economy, it becomes a whole kind of, like, warping back and forth of consumption creator, consumption creator on Web3, whereby, like, not only is there this consumption creator-like oscillation, but actually everyone's an owner in it, and that's really exciting to me. I'm an early adopter of most tech, like, I love a new app, right? So I'll be like, I annoyingly, this is what I tend to do, which really annoys me because I don't have that kudos of saying, I was there since blah, blah, blah. But I create accounts too early and then I lose, I forget that that I've got a login. Um, So I remember being on Twitter super early, right? And I'm not like, I'm not active on Twitter at all. But there are people on Twitter who will have been on Twitter early and contributed to the increase in value of the product um, through their participation. And I think, like, with Web3 and, you know, the the future of how things are built and consumed, you have this really remarkable opportunity now for people to opt out of social media and be like, no, why on earth would I exist on a platform that I increase the value of that actually not only does it not pay me for that increase in value because by the way creators have to go and negotiate their own fees or they with brands or they have to work extra hard to get these tips and so you get what I'm saying it's not like they get a percentage they don't get dividends or like profit share right so like I think that people will be like, hell no. In the future, I think people will laugh and be like, all you suckers. (laughs) I reckon in 10 years, people will be laughing at the suckers who were on social media, increasing the value and living in tiny, like, apartments, trying to make content for like nothing. Because the future will be completely decentralized and distributed. And that's what I'm really excited about. Like I'm launching a stack DAO this summer and I try and build my business with the view that the consumers of the business also have a role and a profit share in the business. Like we have 20 of our members have invested in the stack and I let them invest very low checks um, even though it cost more in legal fees and stuff, because I want to feel that I'm building and a select group of, um, self-selected rather, group of members, because I opened it to all members to invest. Um, and some of them did. And now I'm like, actually, how can I do that on the blockchain? Because this is like super exciting to me.
2: One thing that, people criticize web3 for it's almost like a hyper financialization of the world and so the example is that if you look at wikipedia wikipedia was created completely for free and obviously it's different because it's a non-profit and actually maybe that is a fundamental differentiation but as an example like that happened because of this amazing intrinsic motivation that people have to help others mm-hmm. and you can see that in open source communities you can see that in loads of stuff that they're not being financially rewarded for participation and one criticism of Web3, and I'm not saying I believe it, but I think it's an interesting one, is that it is it creating a hyper-financialized world, which is very extrinsically motivated. So almost that everything is valued in money as opposed to anything else. What do you think about that as a criticism of how creativity is evolving and how participation is evolving. Do you think it does start to change the world in an either positive or negative way?
0: Well, I think it's to do with who the players are, right? Like when you started your sentence, I thought you were going to talk about the like gender inequality that's existing in Web3 at the moment with the fact that there are so few women who have NFT collections or hold cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. Because I think that the more diverse people you have building and contributing to Web3, the more you will have things for public good. Because even though the hyper-financialization is current right now, that to me is just a hangover of Web3 emerging from crypto. You know what I mean? Like if we get more people to understand the potential for social good and social impact, which is what I care about working on. I don't necessarily think it is just about finance. I think it's really about decision making, like co creation and like building together. Like some of my favorite DAOs, like City DAO, the idea that you could rethink what local government looks like by crowdsourcing knowledge is something I've been passionate about since I was a teenager. Like I've always been obsessed with how governments form, how societies form, how tribes form, how decisions get made. um, What's the context of that decision? What's the person's agenda? And I think that the way that humans work to me is we are constantly evolving organic beings right we're not static now there's positives and negatives to that the negative being that at any one time we might be governed by our emotions rather than our thought and rationality we might be governed by our physiology like I'm hungry right now so of course I'm going to vote that we eat chocolate cake at this party instead of eating fruit and vegetables you get what I'm saying so like I do think that the more participation you have the less there'll be dominant decision-making based on the things that are completely fallible. Is that the right word? Fallible. Like all of the bad traits. I want to ensure that there are enough voices in the room that are diverse voices. And I don't just mean racially or gender from socioeconomic thought. Like I love talking to people from other countries who have grown up where their countries have been socialist, for example, or their countries have been extremely religious or, because it's just a different way of life, right? Um, so now I I think Web3 is in such its early days. And all it is, is that the people who are at the party came through and, you know, from an existing party, but more and more people are joining the party every single day. And that's, that's quite exciting. Mm. I guess. I guess the question I'm asking is less. I guess
2: it's around the intersection of like economics and making money, and how we enjoy our lives and how we communicate and connect with other people, and and the kind of interrelation of those two things.
0: Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Like so. One of the things that's really exciting about building, again, from scratch is, and this is what's so incredible about being an entrepreneur, is you can basically design your company how you want. And I think when you look at Web3, you can design your products and not only design them but literally code them with smart contracts how you want, right? So there are some communities where on Discord you get more social tokens through more engagement. So if you write 20 messages mm. in the Discord, you get extra tokens. Or if you turn up, you get a POAP, like a proof of attendance protocol. Like, that is that kind of what you mean? Like, you're essentially adding a financial cost to what should be just normal human connection. So I think that, like, it's up to different people to consciously bake in like from a ideological as well as literally in smart contracts point of view that we don't incentivize or reward behavior that mm. turns us into machines <laughs> we don't we don't financially incentivize like you know how many smiles and mm. how did you smile today? Because then it gets really Black Mirror vibes, right? Like, yeah. right. You get rewarded if you attend the party. You get rewarded if you look good. You get rewarded if you make 20 introductions. Like, I I don't want to do that. I, I want to, I love digital to create offline connections and that will never die for me. I'm always about using the internet to meet people in real life. Like, I can't stress that enough. I've done it at every level with all my businesses. Like, you know, you might be booking a nail appointment, but it happens in real life. Like with the stack now, we've got like thousands of members and all they want to do is meet offline. They go to dinner together. It's it's incredible. So I, you know, I, do, I don't want to be part of a world that starts to put a value all of the things that make us actually human. The first mission of our DAO is to curate our STAT conference. So we did a STAT conference last year. It was 250 women. It was in the countryside. It was an incredible day. We had three main panels and 12 roundtable conversations. And those roundtable conversations I wrote out as themes so it was like access to the city access to quality housing it was the theme of the conference was around what women don't have access to right now I sat there and decided uh with my team and we had to drop some we was like oh we we're not sure we haven't got enough we've got too many ideas so we sat around a table the four or five of us and we discussed these round table topics and we um you know, we made a decision for the community on what we think should be in the conference or not. And we have no idea what would have worked and what didn't. We were just going off our intuition. So we're not any better than, like, politicians sitting in a room deciding policies for people. What we're doing this year is anyone who's part of the Stack DAO, who has the Stack NFT, um, can basically vote on the roundtable topics. So we truly know, like, what the conversations you know what people want conversations of at this conference so I think like my the the first mission of our DAO will have no tokenomics there'll be no like value exchange there'll be nothing going on because ultimately I want to kind of dip my toe in the water by testing it with letting the DAO members curate and see what happens first Also, it will start to help them, like onboard them into Web3 or help them open a wallet, understand how to vote using Snapshot, all of these things, right? And I think like it doesn't always have to be financially incentivized from day one. But again, as a DAO, asking the community or presenting what the options are. So I would love a DAO to be a grant DAO or an investment DAO or operate like a think tank or, you know, if one of our members comes to us and says, creates submits a proposal to say I'd love 20 grand from the treasury because I want to do a PhD on the unpaid labor of female founders and take that article five years worth of research on it that would be incredible if we could support and fund that through the DAO members voting to be like we definitely need this PhD Mm. uh you know what I mean this this member to do this PhD so I think like that's when things get really exciting right can I ask you just really quick I've just
2: realized that some people listening might not know what a DAO is do you want to define what it is and also what it means to you
0: yeah so a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization which is essentially like a cooperative I guess you know most people know what a cooperative is um or some people say like a group chat with a shared bank account but anyone who participates in the dao through holding tokens to the dao or some kind of uh uh some way to access the dao can participate in everything and everything is transparent and the you know the most credible thing about the blockchain is everything is visible to everybody so let's say we wanted to start a dao that was you know, plant a tree down. And we invited 500 people to buy tokens to generate money for the treasury. So they would buy tokens, much like buying shares in a company. Um, And then all of a sudden, we've got a million pounds worth of people in this plant a tree down. And then different members from all over the world can submit proposals saying, right, I put in 500 pounds worth of token and actually I'm going to need 10 grand out of the treasury because I want to plant trees in Wolverhampton they would submit a proposal and then the proposal would be voted on and each token holder has the right to vote and again all of this is on-chain recordable etc and then it's like the most I feel like I've been waiting for this entity for like 20 (laughs) years do you you get what I'm saying because The idea of decentralizing like operations is so exciting to me. But also the reason why I'm excited about it for women is because of the redistribution of wealth. Like I know plenty of rich women and I know plenty of women with less money who have exciting projects. And if we if we can use the Dow as a redistribution of the wealth within the women's economy, but also less it's reparations, right? If we can take some money from different sources to redistribute that wealth to our DAO members, like that's a really exciting thing. Like I've written quite a few angel, like really tiny angel checks to staff members this year um, because I think it's important to support them. And I think actually, wouldn't it be cool if we could just, they could literally apply to the DAO for funding all the time. Like how cool would that be? Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how it works. But there, there are thousands of DAOs that exist for incredible projects, um, all kinds of projects, whether they are women's empowerment projects, you could you could create a DAO to collectively purchase something. So a lot of people create DAOs to collectively purchase expensive NFTs as an asset class. Um there's syndicate DAOs, so you can use uh, you can create a DAO to invest in something. There's there's so many. And, and I think that, I think all companies will be DAOs at some point. It's so funny, because as you're speaking,
2: I realized that a few years ago, when I first set up Out of Hours, I remember saying to someone, oh, I really want a new financial model that's like crowdfunding, mm-hmm. but isn't but isn't crowdfunding because it's not individual projects and I was like what is it and I was like maybe I'm gonna come up with this new financial um, way so that other people can fund other people's projects in like micro grants exactly what you're saying yes. and I didn't put the two
0: together until you until you're saying it now it's really weird actually this is what's this is what I think we're at the important stages are which is uh talking through the potential of web3 mm. because right now everyone just sees jpegs and nfts and that's it. And in the time, the short time that I've been learning about Web3, the potential and the scope to me is like huge. Like imagine like an NFT, right, is a unique certification of something. I feel like my driver's license and my passport should be NFTs, right? They're attached to me. They're unique to me. It's one of one. Anything with a serial number could be an NFT in in essence. Um, like I'm really excited about it as government identity. There's just so many ways that this technology could be used that I just think if more people um, were discussing, having discussions about the the potential of it, I mean, I'm sure those discussions are happening somewhere and I'd love to meet other people to have them. Uh, But, you know, this is what I'm truly excited about. I'm not as enamored by collecting as other people. I'm not, but that's just because that's not my nature. Like I'm not materialistic like that. Like I have nice things and then I might lose them and it's fine or I give them away, it's fine. I know that some people love collecting culture Uh, I also come from like a sneaker background. So I'm used to being around a lot of people who are obsessed with collecting. So I think right now we're in this like NFT collecting phase and NFT purchasing phase. And I think that's why it took me a while to kind of get into Web3 because I didn't really truly understand what it was about um, until I just decided one weekend I'm going to learn everything. Right now. <laughs> so then I just I just did. I just literally had this thing where I... It was when there was a storm on and no one could go outside because people were getting blown away. I was like, right, I can't go outside. I'm going to learn about Web3 today. Where did you start? No, actually, do you know what it was? I said to myself, I'm going to learn how to buy an NFT today because I don't get it. I learned how to do it, and then I, I basically went down this hole of, I was like, oh, okay, so I need a MetaMask. What's that? And the way my brain works is as I learn, as I use new products, I need to know the history of the product. So then I was reading books on the history of it. I was watching YouTube videos and it's just like, I need to know the origin stories of the things that I use because then I can see possibly where it could go next. And that's kind of how it kicked off for me. So I watched some YouTube videos. I bought my first NFT. Name names. What was the most useful one or two things? If I'm truthful, I cannot remember. In fact, there was, there was um, someone up north who did a step-by-step tutorial on literally how to uh, purchase a dot ens name so so i bought like my dot f names for everyone and everything um so you're just searching questions you're just searching like how to yeah you got i always think this everyone's like oh i've got the same google as you but you've got to know what to google so like just searching things and like going through them step by step and that's kind of how i taught myself to use InDesign and you know photoshop i just would step by step google things and then um And then when I bought my NFT, the first NFT I bought, I was like, I have to make it like memorable. I bought a uh, picture of a Jamaican $500 note. So firstly, I thought it was hilarious that I was buying a picture of Fiat money with my new crypto. And it was $500 because it has Nanny, the slave rebellion leader. So she's a Jamaican, I'm Jamaican, so she is the only female Jamaican like national hero because she led a slave rebellion um, against the English. And I thought that was really funny because it was the rebelliousness, the fact that this was fiat money from the developing world. Um, You know, I... Just thought it was funny. So I bought that and then I bought a big doodle S. You know, the S you used to draw draw on your notebook at school. Why? That's so random. I I just saw it and I thought, that's hilarious. (laughs) So I bought it. It makes me smile every time I look at it. Um, And then that was it. And then once I'd gone through the process of just buying something, you know, low cost, then I started to research like what this world was. And then I started to understand about how NFTs, apart from just having this image, essentially could be used as an identity to access communities. And that's when it got really exciting. So I bought a, I'm not a big fan of PFP projects, so profile picture projects, I'm not a fan of at all all what's a profile picture project you know when you see an nft that's a profile picture so every- yeah. like if you see anyone who's got an nft as their profile picture they tend to have bought it from a generative art project and i have you ever watched roald dahl the witches mm-hmm. you know when their children get locked in the paintings Remember how like the witches, right? Like there's a couple of children that go missing and then they're in a painting, like trapped in the painting, right? Like there's something about women, PFP, NFT projects that make me feel like they are women trapped in these paintings because they're always like super thin, super skinny. They've always got this bored look. They always look really beautiful. They look like bored or skinny models, right? Or they look like these really, I don't, I don't, like, there's just a passivity to it. They're very passive pictures. Mm. So I wasn't that into them, but then I found one because this is what's great about NFTs. You can always find something to suit you. I found a project called Women of Crypto, and I loved the fact it was 3D. It looked cool. um You know, I Googled the founder. The founder's amazing. She's got this, uh, you know, really interesting roadmap for it. That sounded unique to me. Um, And I bought one and that was my first like proper NFT purchase. And actually I bought two, which is weird. Are you buying them just to test it out
2: and get involved and learn? Or are you buying them because you anticipate them to go up in value?
0: Not the value thing for me at all. Um... I bought it because I thought here is a woman who's created a business because that's what it is. It's a business and I want to support that business. And I'm not very active in that community. Um, It's mainly in L.A. She's based in L.A. as well. So they do stuff in L.A. But I'm in the discord and I like checking every now and again. But really, I just thought by purchasing this, I'm supporting this woman's business. And that's important to me. Um, there are other, you know, things that I'm part of that I'm a bit more active in. But no, for me, that was like. Also, if I'm honest, I just bloody loved it. I thought this is really cool. And what do you do with it? Like now you have it. Do you look at it? Like what, what do I do? I put it as my Twi- I put it as my profile picture all over the internet. And I look at it, and I'm like, you're cool. And then what? What she's gonna do next? She's gonna do a men of crypto. And the way that um, the NFTs work is they have specific properties, right, with rarities. So I specifically looked for a black girl with a pound sign background, you know, because I'm British. And and she's going to do a men of crypto with their properties. And if you've got a woman of crypto... I think you get a man of crypto for free and then they make a baby based on merging the together. And I was like, this is so cute. It's like I'm playing with dolls. And it's really funny because you can be really skeptical about this shit until one thing catches your eye. Do you get what I mean? Like I'm quite attached to my women of crypto projects and I'm not that bothered about other projects. Um, but people find the thing for them and people like collecting stuff. I don't know, like sometimes you'll see a piece of artwork, it'll just speak to you. You, It feels like you have a
2: very kind of curious spirit and you feel very able to pursue the ideas that you have without kind of overthinking them or worrying too much or kind of just being put off. Do you have any advice for people who want to start something new or explore a new space but haven't done it yet?
0: I think I always... When I think that I'm going to not do something, I remember that there are so many people, mainly white men out there doing whatever the hell they want, failing at it, doing it poorly and badly with no repercussions, no shame, no fear of failure. And I think and if they can do it, so can I. Do you know what? Everything's a bit of an experiment. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'll try something else. Um, but I definitely find comfort in looking at all of the things that exist in the world and thinking there's so much out there. Not all of it's that good.
2: I'll have a go. Do you have time for one more question? Yeah. I really just want to ask you about your self-reflection practices because I've read a bunch of stuff that you've written about it and I think you are the queen of refining not just your business and your products but yourself and I would love to know if there are any exercises that you do either regularly or annually or anything that you think well, that you think's kind of helped hone your introspection and your self-growth.
0: So the first thing I recommend anyone to do is our template the guide to working with me which is a, a Google Slides template that you can take um, and basically fill out to understand what motivates you, how you work, how you remain productive, et cetera. Once you've got your guide to working with me, you can then do your vision mission principles. Those two exercises are kind of like once every five years exercises, right? Like I've got my vision mission principles, The reason I can write it is because I know how I like to work, how I like to think, what motivates me. And then once I've got these two documents, I do my annual vision setting document, which is I do it once a year. I actually do it in January, then review it in June. Um, But I do that twice a year. And basically with those three documents, I'm kind of set um, with everything that I need. And whenever I'm feeling out of balance or stressed or anxious, I just revert back to one of those documents and explains everything for me um and somebody you know I first realized like when I was stressed and I was telling one of my team members I'm so stressed they were like why don't you take your own advice you've written so many essays and you've you've written everything out so I was like yeah you're right so I started reading it and it was really good so Yeah, I would say those three documents, which we, um, I do them with staff members every year. So we've had about 500 people do it this year. Um, They do work.
1: Thanks for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review or subscribe so you don't miss
2: the next episode.